0: All right, well, let's get going. I wanna pick up kinda of where we left off last week. As you know, we started this new series called The New Man. I say this every week, but I wanna make sure you understand it. This is different than things that we've done in the past. As I've said before, I'm a teacher at heart. I love teaching the Bible. I think the Lord opens my eyes to different things that maybe I can illuminate them in a way that you hadn't heard before or things like that. Um, and, and that's something that I always enjoy doing and, and maybe mining for those nuggets that, that we somehow miss because we, we read too quickly, we don't put things in proper context and so we miss out on some of the truths of Scripture. And the, the problem with that is, is that in, to, in America today, the church as a whole does not know their Bible. The Bible is a book that they use, but they don't know what it means. I mean, I was having a discussion with somebody uh, just the other day, and somebody who grew up in a church, gone to church for the better part of their life, and we were just discussing some of the basics of Scripture. Nothing, you know, super hard-hitting and things like that. But it was just amazing how little that she knew. And because she grew up in a church where you didn't need to take your Bible because they would just tell you what they were going to read. They'd stand up, recite it, and they'd go home for the day. But the, the Word of God was not a part of their life. It wasn't used for anything except for on Sunday, which is not the way it should be. But that's the way it is, unfortunately. And because of that, we've lost sight of, one, where we get our information from. I mean, how do you know the things about God? Ultimately, His Word. What's funny is I'd seen a guy arguing this point on Facebook. Um, again, Facebook arguments are not worth entering into, okay? I'll just tell you that right now. But, but this guy put a point out there. He says, the Bible is an idol. This is his words. The Bible is an idol, because God sent his Holy Spirit and said that he would reveal all truth and brother wouldn't have to teach brother and all of that. And he said, the Bible's nothing more than an idol and I really wanted to respond but I'm thinking, I have other things to do in life today. But I'm sitting here thinking, how do you know that the promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit and that he sent him who will guide you into all truth? It's only one way you know that information. It was written down, right? And what? The Bible, okay? So it's like he used the Bible to call it an idol. You gotta kind of see a problem with that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. But this is the world we live in, and so that's how it's treated. I've heard believers say, like, I want to just be like Abraham and Moses, where I just want God to tell me what He wants me to do and when He wants me to do it. I don't need that Bible anymore. Well, there's a reason it's been preserved the way that it has. There's a reason that it is what it is because it has an authority and that's where we get our information. And that's no more true than it is in the New Testament because we are entered into a covenant with God. And the information of that covenant is found. It's found when the covenant was created... And it also expounds upon the use of that covenant. When Moses cut a covenant, or God cut a covenant with, with Moses and the Israelites, it was written in a book, right? That's what it says. Take the book of the law. What are they talking about? This is the book of that covenant. It tells the do's and the don'ts. Where in the New Testament it says a little bit less the do's and the don'ts, it's just the why and the hows. Because there aren't a set of rules that a Christian believer, a born-again person lives by, so to speak. It's more so of who you are. Why you are that person and how you are to operate in this life. And that is where we're missing it. So, the first thing that we looked at was in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. And we're going to read this every single week. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So, where is Christ? He's above, sitting at the right hand of God, if you were raised with Christ, which implies that you died, correct? All right, so verse three, or verse two, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Again, we say this every week, but I want to make sure you get it, is that you died, you are dead, you are no more as the old person. You are new in Christ. You were raised with him at the time that he was resurrected. We have to understand that. Because how we act and how we live is a precursor of who we are. It's pointing that way of, of what the change has been made inside of us. It's not old things made better. It's dead things made new and brought to life. It's completely different. So when we say to you that when you give your life to Christ, forget about the old stuff. Don't worry about what you did prior to this. Well, if you were here Wednesday night, I think it was this Wednesday, Brian showed a a video interview of Jeffrey Dahmer. He ate people. I mean, many of you remember that was back in the 90s. I mean, he ate people. They said he had a lampshade made out of human skin. And the man gave his life to Christ. What does that mean? That the old is gone and the new has come. New life has been given to him. Did he deserve it? No. He was a psychopath, disgusting human being. But guess what? You don't deserve it either. You may not have killed and eaten people that I'm aware of. And let's keep it that way. The potluck dinners would get real interesting, okay? But, but, But here's the thing. You didn't deserve it either. If you've broken any of the laws, then you've broken them all. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need him. He's no different. The old is dead, gone, no more. It died with Christ. This new man was resurrected with Jesus at the cross. You need to get that deep down in you. You need to understand it because the things that we're going to talk about here going forward are your responsibilities on this earth. And if you can't accept the fact that that person inside of you is brand new and what happened prior to the day that you came to the saving knowledge of grace, then you'll never do anything for God because you'll just look back at all the negative that you did prior to that. Uh, let's see, verse four, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him glory. Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth. What members on the earth? We're talking about the body, kill it, get rid of it. Not literally killing it. I want to make sure that's okay. No, you know, we're not going to go drink the Kool-Aid. All right. For some of you younger folks, that won't make any sense. But anyway, Which are on the earth: fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are put off, are to put off all these things: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jews, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. The old is gone, the new has come. That old man died, the new man has risen up. We've talked about that. This is what happens when you are born again. Last week we began to talk about the covenants, right? We went through them quickly. A couple years ago we went through them in depth. But we went through them quickly, all getting to the New Covenant. The thing that we have to understand is this New Covenant was not between God and man. It was between the Father and the Son on behalf of the man, right? Because when we look as an example of the Mosaic Covenant, what we call the Old Covenant, that was cut between God and the Israelites. And God said, if you do this, then I will do that. And He said, do you agree with me? And all the Israelites said, we will do as you have said. At that point, the Blood Covenant was cut, and they immediately broke it. The reason they could break it is because it was on them to keep a portion of it. But the new covenant is not between you and God. It is between the Father and the Son on your behalf. Therefore, you cannot break it once you enter into it. That's important to understand. But how do you enter into it? What is the thing that you have to do in order to enter into that new covenant? That covenant that God made. Many of you are going to say you got to pray. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him and is dead, you will be saved. And we always equate that to a prayer. But it is not a prayer. And it is not a thing that you do. It is a belief in. Belief is the key factor. A lot of people, and we're not going to go there today, but we will talk about this later on, in Hebrews chapter 3, they say, well, you know, this is proof that you can lose your salvation. And Hebrews t- chapter 3 is talking about these different things. But what was the sin of the Israelites? Every single time. It wasn't disobedience in the way that we think. It was the lack of belief. It was the lack of belief that God would do what he said he would do. He's bringing them out of the desert. They cross through the Red Sea and all the armies of Egypt are destroyed behind them and they still doubt him all along the way. Why did you bring us out of Egypt for us to die here? The sin was lack of belief. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life, right? That's what it says. It's belief. What is belief? That is what we call faith. That God is who He says He is. He will do what He says He will do. Our belief is in Him. Okay? Not belief that God exists. Not belief that Jesus lived on this earth and maybe died on a cross. It's belief in Him. James talks about this. He says, even the demons believe that there is a God and they tremble. Belief that won't do you any good. But when you put your faith in Him, That's what makes the difference. That's when you entered into that covenant. And in that covenant, there is a promise that you will live eternally forever. You guys follow what I'm saying? This is important because this tells us something. That your actions didn't enter you into the covenant. Therefore, your actions can't remove you from the covenant because it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with him. The only way that you could possibly get out of that covenant is to not believe. It was the belief, the faith that got you into it. So therefore, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he was and he is your Lord and he is your Savior, then there are promises and expectations placed upon you. You were given a job. Do you know that realize that that God gave Adam a job before he gave him a family? He said, I want you to tend the garden and expand it. He gave him a job. We're we're, We're always walking around thinking, oh man, the garden must have been cold. No, he had to clock in. He had to go to work. Right? We all think we're going to get to heaven, like, oh, we're just going to float on clouds and play harps all day. No, read your Bible, okay? That's what TV says. It talks about this new heaven and new earth. Life is going to go on very much like it is, but with the glory of God versus the glory of man. It's the glory of God that's going to bring everything. So while we'll be working, it won't be by the sweat of our brow. Okay, now here's where I want to go I want to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, we're going to read through several passages of Scripture because I want you to see something very important today. Because when we understand that this covenant that we've entered into, because of what Jesus did, okay, we've got to ask the question, why did Jesus come? The ultimate answer is, like, well, to die on the cross. And that is true, but he came here with a purpose, more so than just simply that. That's important. But he came here with a task to do, a job to perform. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul talking. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Okay? He just talked about all of us, right? right? We don't look at the heart of man. We look at the stuff of man. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are found of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let's stop there for a minute. The love of Christ compels us. It's an interesting word because now he's saying we, it's, it's this love of Christ. What was the love of Christ? It gave his life for all of us. It compels us in his way. We have to do this. There's something in us that we have to do here. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. So those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. All right? So we're seeing that we're living for Christ, right? He died for all. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. But yet, we, no longer thus, we know him no, thus no longer. In other words, he's not on the earth anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. All right? Man, I, and this is, this is, we got, we've talked about this before, but this old is gone, new has come. We get into this idea of metamorphosis. It's the same term that is used for a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. When they go into the cocoon, they don't just sprout wings. You notice that a butterfly looks absolutely nothing like a caterpillar? I mean, for women, they're like, oh, they have like gardens of butterflies that you can go into, and they're all excited that these butterflies are landing on them. Send them into a garden full of caterpillars and let them jump on them. See how they react. It's going to be completely different. They're nasty, little, wormy, fuzzy, disgusting things. But suddenly, they're a beautiful butterfly. What happens in that cocoon is they become a ball of goo. They are completely destroyed from what they were, and a new thing is completely recreated. It's brand spanking new. It's the same concept. That old thing, it's gone. Essentially, that caterpillar is dead. That old man dies, raised with Christ, brand new. You're starting over in the image of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ, and though we, as God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for He made Him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. A lot to unpack here, a lot to unpack here, but there are two things that we see here. We see the word reconciliation, and we see the word ambassador, and that's where we're going to focus our time today. You see, it says that all things are of God who has done what? He's reconciled us to Himself. So this word reconciliation, the definition of it means this, restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Ordinarily, it includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. You see reconciliation happen between individuals, between family members. Something has caused a tension between them. There's something that needs to be dealt with. And then they reconcile. You see that with a husband and a wife. They'll separate and then they do what? They reconcile. Whatever that was has been forgiven or moved on from or whatever the case may be. And they come back together. That's how we see it in the natural. But as far as this goes with God is so especially true with God and humanity because Christ removed that enmity, that, that, that void that thing that was keeping us from God because we were sin. Sin can't be in the presence of God. Christ removed that between God and mankind through his sacrifice, the laying down of his life. So now we are one with God created in his image. What does he say that we are? We are now the temple of God, where God resides. So when you say you need to ask Jesus in your heart, you know that's not specifically in the Bible. But the principle is there that God resides in us because we are his temple. So reconciliation is important because we need to understand what it is. But then it says something about the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry meaning the going and doing of, but something about this, that the word of reconciliation is given to us. It says that who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who gave that to us? God. Jesus. And then it explains in verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means we need to figure out what this is. I would imagine, if you will, that it's going to look very similar to the work that Jesus came to do. Right? And then it says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. This word ambassador means a messenger. Or envoy officially representing a higher authority. Generally speaking, an ambassador is a respected official that is acting on behalf of somebody else. When we look at, um, we have ambassadors in this world, right? They'll send somebody from a foreign nation, they're an ambassador, they are a representative of the nation, they are there on their behalf, standing for their interest as long as with the interest of that other party. So the U.S. has ambassadors that we send to different parts of the world, right? They're going and representing the United States and its interest, okay? So therefore, if we are ambassadors for Christ, what are we doing? We are sent to another world, okay, representing the interest of Christ. We've got to understand what those interests are, and we've got to figure out what this other world is. Because the thing that we need to understand more importantly than anything is that we are of the world, Or we're in the world but we're not of the world right because our home is with Christ we're completely made new let's look at this in John chapter 17 starting in verse 14 it says I have given them your word this is Jesus talking and the world has hated them because why they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as I am not of the world, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Okay? Does it need to get any clearer? He, we were sent into the world by Christ. We're not of the world. We're his ambassadors. We are here representing Christ's interest. Yes? You guys with me? You understand that. We're all there. We're here with a purpose. What is that purpose? It is the purpose of Jesus. Okay. We're given a job to do. Now we have to understand this. Now, how are we in this world, but not of it? I mean, we're around it all the time. I mean, let's face it. The dirt of this world rubs off on us. You spend enough time in in negative situations to begin to, uh, those things begin to apply to your life in some way. I mean, it's like somebody who had a drinking problem and God set them free. Where should they not be hanging out? Likely a bar, right? Wouldn't make a lot of sense. Now, I don't know about you guys. Now, I was born in Detroit. Okay. And uh, I have family up in Michigan, and I have family down in Oklahoma. So we're opposite ends of the country here. And when I go up north and I'm visiting family from Michigan, within two or three days, I start sounding like them. You know, like, hey, let's go get in the car. You know, I start, like, I start picking up their accent. It's weird. And then as soon as I get back here, it kind of goes back to normal, whatever normal happens to be. But if I go visit that family down south before long, I'm talking like this. I don't know what it is. I'm weird. But why? Something about that is rubbing off on me, right? So we're, but, but, but I'm not... In, I'm not of that. I'm, I'm in it. You guys see what I'm saying? It's kind of a dumb analogy, but I want you to get it. How easily we, all, we pick up on these things. As an example, if you hang around people that cuss like sailors all the time, it is a matter of time before you hit your thumb with a hammer and something flies out of your mouth that normally wouldn't fly out of your mouth. You guys follow me? Because we're influenced by it. We are in it, we are not of it. But what are we of? That is the question, right? If we're here representing Jesus and we're not of this world, what world are we a part of? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So this is Paul talking again to the church of Ephesus. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward who us who believe. What is the, the the separator here? It's belief. Yes? Not going to church, not doing good things, it's belief. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. Now where is he seated? The right hand, right hand of the Father, tells us exactly where he is, yes? So there's no question, where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember, that is a place of authority. That's important to understand. So it's us who believe he worked in Christ. The Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. What age are we talking about? The one that's to come? It's the millennium. It's it's the ultimately new heaven and new earth. Verse or chapter two, verse one, it says, And you he made alive. Who did it? He did it. Right? When did he do it? At the cross. Just keep that in mind. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So your nature was that old man that was of this world, right? But you see the antithesis. You once were, okay? He made us alive. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we seated? It tells us right there. Obviously not physically. We're talking about a spiritual thing going on here. We're seated at that place of authority with Jesus. Go on, verse 7. That in the ages to come you might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, and this is the one that typically gets read. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can I explain that any better? How are we saved? It's through faith. Faith in what? Jesus. That's what it says. By grace through faith. Faith is the mechanism of which we are saved. It is the grace of God through our belief in him that makes us right in Christ. Nothing else you bring to the table matters. But watch what it says. It says, not of works, verse 9, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 never gets read. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. When were we created in Christ Jesus? When we gave our life to him at the cross. Essentially, we were brought new, that new man is here. What purpose? For good works. Who decides what is good? God does. Is feeding the poor good? Absolutely. Does it make you saved? No, it doesn't. None of that does. It is by grace, his gift of grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Now, here's what we get for this. Where are we seated? He's the head, right? It says we are the body of Christ. Okay, You ever see the head and the body separated? If you do, bad things have just happened, right? <laughs> I mean, there's something messed up. It's not a good day for somebody. No, the head and the body are still together. Where are they? Seated at the right hand of the Father, on that throne, which comes with authority, Yes. We know that from all the other different passages of Scripture that talk about that right hand. So, if Jesus is there, then we should be there. So, if we are His body, shouldn't we simply, if we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing and being an ambassador and being of the ministry of reconciliation, shouldn't we, as the body, figure out what the head did while He was here? Because wouldn't that give us a clue to the work that we are supposed to be doing? Not for salvation but because these good works that were laid out that God had for us before the foundation of the world. when was the, We saw this last week. When was it decided that Jesus was going to come and die on the cross? It was before the foundation of the world. This wasn't an afterthought. God wasn't shocked when Adam and Eve sinned. He wasn't like, what do we do now? He wasn't surprised. He made that decision prior to ever creating anything. That's so important. And why did he do it if he knew we were going to screw up? Jesus tells us that there is no greater love than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. The fact that before he created us, he knew he was going to have to come to this earth, lay down his deity and come as a man and lay down his life for us is the ultimate expression of love. That's how much he loved mankind. That even though he knew that this was going to have to happen, he did it anyway. He created us anyway. I mean, it's powerful. It's so powerful. And this, I mean, guys, think about that. This is what He decided to do. We follow Him. So we are, He is the head. We are the body. What did He come to do? Let's look at Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at three passages here. And this is where we're going to end today. But you guys, you've got to understand that this is where we're going. Is where, what, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to be doing it? And how do we do it? Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is where he grew up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So when it says as his custom was, it means he did it all the time, right? Okay. Uh, Verse 17, "And and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And then the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know how much guts it took to make that statement? That's huge. Because here it is, this is a messianic prophecy by Isaiah. And Jesus gets up, little old Jesus, as his custom was, shows up to church on a Saturday not on a Sunday, that's the Sabbath. And he said, hey Jesus, you want to read something? Yeah, I got something I want to read. Guess what? I'm the Messiah. That's bold. But it's what it says here right? What was Jesus sent to this earth to do? It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What are we talking about? The Holy Spirit who came down upon him because he has anointed me. Now, we're going to talk about this word anointed because it gets misused in charismatic churches all the time. We don't even have a clue what it means because we're looking at it wrong. But this is important. We're not going to do this today or we would be here all day. It says to preach the gospel to the poor. Okay, first of all, preach means to what? To declare. What is the gospel? Paul tells us that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and three days later was raised from the dead. Peter talks about because of that, our faith and hope can be in him. So what is the gospel? When it says the poor, do you think it's just poor people? No. We were all poor. All of us. Okay? So it's to preach the gospel of the poor. Then he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Okay? All of us. Again, heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Imagine, guys, think about this. And this is hard to understand, but there was a time in this country where you weren't necessarily free, right? We had a slavery in this country, which is just a complete abhorrence. But imagine what it was that after the war happens, and all of a sudden, they could freely walk wherever they want legally. Now, people didn't, you know, didn't give in to that. But, I mean, imagine that feeling. You know, there's a gal, I'd met her a while back. She was part of the sex trade that was going on and, and was, was passed all over the country, okay? And I don't know all the story that happened, but somehow she got her freedom. I mean, suddenly, she's her own person again. And this is what it's saying, to liberty to the captives, and recovery of, the sight, of sight to the blind. Now, here we've got a healing passage. Specifically, you can't spiritualize this. It's not that the eyes are open so that you can just see now. You know, spiritually speaking, oh, this is the Messiah. We're talking about a healing passage. Now, wait a minute, why was Jesus in here? It's almost like he's saying, I'm here to heal the sick, okay? To set liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. So, why was Jesus in here? Set the captive free, to preach the gospel to those, to heal the brokenhearted, to recover the sight of the blind. That means he was sent here with a mission, yes? Okay, so could we say that that was Jesus' ministry? Absolutely we can. And so if that was his ministry, and that ministry was passed on us, and it happens to be called the ministry of reconciliation, what should we be doing? Those very things. You see, if you want to know what that ministry is, who's called to that ministry of reconciliation? All. Not some. All of us. So if we're going to fulfill what Jesus told us to do, I suppose we ought to be doing what Jesus did. Okay? Well, let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Starting in verse 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So it says the purpose of the Son of God. What were the, the works of the devil? Ultimately, because of sin, that he, he tempted Eve. Adam followed suit. Death enters the world through sin. I mean, we're putting all these pieces together. So he came to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. So we can look at sickness and disease. We can, we can look at all these different things. The oppression, the way, I mean, going into these foreign nations. Guys, there's an oppression over these foreign nations. We've got it so good here with this freedom. And the only reason we have this freedom is because the founding fathers, for the majority of them, were Bible-believing Christians. And if they weren't, they still had a fear of God in some capacity that enabled this freedom to go, that they realized that our rights did not come from government. It came from our Creator. And because of that, we have a freedom here that we enjoy that most countries don't have. But it was to destroy the works of the devils, okay? Not tell you how to get past them. Not tell you how to walk through them. It says to destroy them. And then Matthew chapter 9, and this is the last passage we're going to look at. Again, we're looking at what did Jesus do, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. He was teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, let's stop there. Where did he go? It says all the cities and all the villages. It means everywhere he went. Then what did he do? He was teaching in their synagogues. Well, we just saw this in Luke chapter 4. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them the scriptures and how he was that one that they were talking about, right? Then remember the Emmaus Road. When he took them, he said, hey, the whole of the scriptures are written about me. So we've got that. He's, teaching, he's preaching the gospel. Preaching means the proclamation, declaring it. Guess what? That Jesus died. He's buried and he rose again. That is the gospel. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. How many? Did, all. Every one, right? I mean, where does the sickness? What is this? He's destroying the works of the devil. Are you guys following this? You see, the problem is, is that we are called to be his ambassador. We are his body, but yet we're doing nothing. Nothing. We make ourselves feel good is what it is. uh, 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 Casting Crowns wrote a song a few years ago. is We Are the Body. You guys remember that one? We Are the Body. Why aren't his feet going? Why aren't his hands healing? It's a very good question. Because if he's the head and we're the body, why is the body so weak and so limp and so useless? Now, I'm talking about myself here too, all right? But we as a church, the body of Christ, the church, we are not fulfilling this ministry of reconciliation. Because he talks about healing every sickness and every disease. We don't don't do that. Well, that was Jesus. Yeah, it was. And if he was set out for our example, if we were supposed to be representing him, we've got to see what he was doing, and we've got to get to the point where we're doing it. You guys follow what I'm saying? You see, what we've done is, and this is what churches do today. You're like, well, we need to reach more people. How can we do that? Well, let's start a new program, and let's dump a bunch of money into it. Let's try to drag people here. Where did Jesus go? All the cities, all the villages, and he taught in the synagogues, which is basically their version of the church, but he preached the gospel everywhere, right? This is the problem, is that we, we are trying to, like, hey, we want to be a city on a hill, right? We want to be a light in the dark. We, well, let's do all those things. Let's just throw up this beacon, and people will just come and get drawn in. The thing that should be the city on the hill is the temple of God, not the church. This is a building. The temple of God is you. It's me. Okay, we think it's a, let's just get them into this building. That's all we need to do, or any building for that matter. Just get them to one of them and hope that they hear the gospel. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be. You see, we are the body of Christ. Therefore, we should be going into all the cities and all the villages. We should be teaching. We should be preaching. We should be healing. Yes? Is that what it says? That's what it says, right? Right? Now, there's a million questions that lead into this, like how do we do that and what do we do next? We're going to get into all of this stuff, guys. We're going to look at the Scriptures and see exactly what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be doing it, and ultimately why we're supposed to be doing it. And the why comes down to one thing. This ministry of reconciliation was given to us through Christ Jesus because we are His body. And we've got to be a part of that. And the reason we know we can do this is because we're seated at the right hand of the Father. With Him, which is the place of authority. He's given us that authority. So we're going to be getting into this stuff, guys, but we, I want you guys to get prepared. The reason I'm doing this the way that we're doing it is because I'm trying to build up your faith, your belief in this word, okay? Not agreeing that the word is true because we all agree that it's, Oh, yep, it's true. I want you to believe it. Believe it. Jim was just telling us a story this morning that when one of the first trips they went down to El Salvador that there was a lady that was blind and they went and they prayed for her and she went home blind and came back to church the next day all by herself because she could see. It just says it. Recovery of sight to the blind. Why aren't we doing that here? We don't even try. We're just like, oh, may you be warmed and filled and send you on your way. We've got to be the body of Christ. We have got to get to work. We've got a job to do. And there's a way this is going to happen. So I encourage you guys, go home, study scriptures. Spend time in prayer, seeking the Lord. Saying, God, how can I be your ambassador, your representative? And we're going to get into this a lot deeper in the weeks to come. But I promise you guys, this if we get a hold of what God is trying to do through us, we'll turn this city upside down. And I don't know about you, but that's the stuff that excites me. You can read in, in years past and all these other different things of these different revivals that happen all over the world. And we're like, well, why there and why not here? Well, there's always a distinction. There's a people that want it and are doing the work. We were created in Him for good works. Right?